Well, anyway, this morning, what, what we started with, what we started with was uh, in Isaiah, well, Mike started it too, in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 1 and 2. No, no, that no, right now, we're right now, and Paul speaking in his day. Okay, so what is it now? All right. That in the last days, of which we are definitely in, perilous times, and that word perilous means stressful, difficult, hard to deal with times, right? And the reason for that is the next verse. For men will be lovers of their own selves. And what? Can I be a lover of myself and a lover of God? And there's the separating of the Hebrews 4.12 in the experience of, of a believer. So, so when it says that men will be lovers of their own selves, and then, there, then it says they're covetous, right? And that is in, in Exodus 20 and verse 17, Covetous, right? So any, any, any experience that I have outside of a proper experience of who Christ is in me, that starts with that, who he is. Because if I don't understand and give precedence to, in preeminence in Colossians 1.18 to who he is, then I lose who I am. That's what happens. So... And that's covetous. And, and covetous just simply means that that is, who, who is that? that? For the believer, that's, the man, that's the, the man that has the flesh in him, but that he's not of. Huh? The flesh is in us, but not of us. Now, that's experiential understanding and growing and learning, by the way. Because it's certainly there's no flesh positioned in who we are in our position in Christ. But now we're growing, and that's why we, we have that, and that's why the one nature is they always, you know, through the enemy, the lie, try to get rid of it. But understanding that, we, we went into Isaiah 57, 19 to 21, and that is where, we, where it was being brought out there, where God speaks, he says, peace, Peace to him that is near, and that, that can mean for us as the church, as we glean from the reality of these things that we have now, as those that are positioned in him, we can glean from that. Those that are near, that's us in Christ, and then those that are far off. He's speaking that. We said this, too. Uh, just a little while ago, that here we are in this crazy evil world system right now. Just crazier and weirder and more evil than it's ever been before. And here we are in the midst of it, and yet God is still, at this particular time, he still is, is, is speaking peace, peace. And, he, and that's, he's making it, he wants to bring the point home. Peace, peace, still, right now, in this craziness. Peace, peace, to him that is near and to him that is far off. Peace to those that are in Christ. Peace to them that aren't. But he's still speaking that. He speaks it through us as we experience it. That's what in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, we have this ministry of reconciliation and though God does, God beseech them in and through us, 
He can only do that when we experience the peace and the protection of his love and who we are. (laughs) So he speaks it to us. Then he eliminates the self-life and the experience. Now it's just Christ in my new man, and he can use me to, to be an ambassador to speak peace to them. You see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 uh, to 19 and 20. Why? Because he made him to be the sin sacrifice for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he speaks peace, peace to him that is near and to him that is far off. Now in us, in our experience, we're near, we can't be any more near in our position, but sometimes we get a far off from him in our experience. So my experience is not the equal of my position. What does that mean? It means who Christ is in me. Wow. And then who I am in him. And it's incredible when we see that, when we experience it. And then we said, this goes into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. For us, as his church. This is, again, now we see the antithesis and all the lust patterns described in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Those are all those insatiable lust patterns. Those things that when we don't function properly in our experience, the enemy uses those to attach them to us. But, but the fruit, and this is now we're in 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. Love always speaks of protection. Love is who God is. And then God himself, in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, he rests in his love. Where? In the, in the love of his son. What's been accomplished in propitiation for him. And so we experience the peace of God. We said it's one thing, it's one thing to have the peace of God. And we do have that. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. We absolutely have it. It's not let us have peace like some would interpret that and interpret it completely out of, completely out of context. If you follow it down through in those 21 verses in Romans, the fifth chapter, starting at 1 and 2, it's not let us have peace. It is we have peace. We have it. That's literally what it says. But some... Even so-called Greek scholars, this is why we need to be careful about Greek and Hebrew and hungering and knowledge after it, instead of just being taught properly. Because that's the proper way to understand Greek and Hebrew, by the way. There's just no two ways about it, but there's enough in the English Bible. But again, that's what it says. It's that we have, we have the peace of God. We already have, that's position. But in my experience, do I have the God of peace? And that's key. Now, for that to happen, that's where Hebrews 4.12 comes in. So we know that the first cause, obviously, uncreated, you know, God in create, Christ in in create, uncreated. Zoe, the Greek word Zoe, life that's always been and will never end. But there, again, is God is love. Now, when I have a proper experience of resting in his love, the place where he is, 
And where, does, where do we meet God? We meet him in Christ. That's where we meet God. God himself is resting in his son, what he's accomplished. You see that even in the types. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 31, right into Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, he rested. And even when we see that, there's such incredible truth that's even in those verses of Genesis, those 31 verses. Because we know that would God, would God create? So when we see in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then it says, and then the earth was void was, and without form. Would God ever create anything like that? No, no. You know what that's a picture of when we read that? And this is why we can glean from these things. And this is where, unfortunately, the hyper-dispensationalists fall so flat on their face with, with what they think is enough knowledge. But that simply is a picture of this. Did God, and we see it later in, 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 in that first chapter where God's going to create man in his image in 1, 26 and 27 of Genesis, and then he actually creates him in Genesis 2 and verse 7, but when God created Adam, did he create him as a chaotic being without form? No. But something happened that caused the, the chaos and without form, proper thought, proper image. You can even see that all the way through. And this goes into the, these truths that we have of now we are positioned in Christ. We're no longer this chaotic, formless, confused thing, fallen in ruin like the earth. We don't see that. We're not that way anymore. So in the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Well, who's the Spirit? It's God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, cause, Cause. And when you have proper cause, now what do you have? Proper effect. So the fruit of the Spirit, God, who, who God is, is love. And when I experience it, when I experience love, when I have a proper experience of love, what do I have? Joy. Now when I don't, when I don't have that in and, and our growth and experience, do we still have settled peace with God? Yes. That's what he's bringing us back to. Position and experience. State and standing in state. So, again, what is it? So we have love. God, we're being loved. Then what do we have? Joy. Why? Why do we have joy? Oh, because we're resting. It's enjoyment. We're resting. We're resting, right? And that's Romans 5.11. We joy in him. Remember? One soul, you know, it goes into those parables in Luke 15, 7 to 10. One soul that returns, gets right with God in terms of salvation, and maybe even us in terms of our experience through confession in 1 John 1.9. What do they hear? And they hear joy in the presence of the angels. Notice whose joy was that? That's God's joy. That's what it's saying. 
And he doesn't want, and that's what we're to have in Romans 5.11, to joy in him. But if I don't have that, do I have experiential peace? No. But can anything, even sin and my failure, touch my position in Christ? No. But this is what is necessary for the preaching and teaching of the word. Now we're in Hebrews 4.12. Now it comes in. And this brings in these, this beautiful teaching in Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That heart there is lab, L-E-B, and that's our mind. And that goes into proper thoughts and reasonings to deal with strongholds, these attachments, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. But that's where we go back into that. We know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds or these unbelievable attachments, right? So there's joy in the presence of the angels. Whose joy is that? That's, that's the joy of God. And that's to be a proper experience because where would we think that our joy would come from? So there's got to be this separating. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces. And we said this, it pierces. And then when, when the experience is not right, when it's not correct, it leaves me with the option to continue in what would be rebellion and stubbornness, a lack of obedience, and this is 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. If it's that, then when I'm pierced, I reject it and I resist it. And I make up all these excuses and put them on like cloaks so I can have a, an, appearance, an appearance that I'm right. Jesus did away with all that. We, we know this in John 15 and verse 22. He did away with all excuses. But then the other side is I can be entreatable when the word comes. I can be very entreatable. And when I am, then in that area of growth, one side cuts and that's a separation. You see, that's the separation. That's what Jesus was talking about in his high priestly prayer. In John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And we have the example that Christ is in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, where Jesus said in John 17 and verse 19, he sanctified himself. <laughs> and so then the word comes in, in Hebrews 4.12, that word comes in and it separates there's the attachment. So now we're back in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with your whole mind. Trust him for every proper thought, which is Christ. God's one thought is Christ, the word in John 1, 1, who he's given and put on humanity. Oh, my. You want to talk about God identifying us? identifying with us with his all and no wonder no wonder it says in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 to know the love of Christ the love of God that passes knowledge that's our that's for all eternity that's time right now keeping that hunger and that taste 
In Psalm 34 and verse 8, keeping the right taste, not lustful taste, but loving taste. You know, the natural man, the lustful man in us is always in competition with the man of Christ and who we are. And we said, that's that battle that goes on within us, each of us individually. And so Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your mind. The word trust there, one of the Hebrew words is batach, B-A-T-A-C-H, and that means a breaking, a separating. And so when I trust God for his word experientially, when I give my will over, now my mind can be infiltrated and overtaken with the mind of Christ. And then he breaks that attachment and replaces it with himself. And that's Hebrews 4.12. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Result, you're not going to lean to your own understanding. What's my own understanding? I have to constantly, I am going to constantly fulfill all these lust patterns. Constantly. Everything I do has to do with the lie that it's about me and not God. Everything. Everything about me. For each of us. And that's that battle that goes on within us. We see that in James chapter 4, 1 through 4. Where do these wars come from? Where do these wars come from? It says it right there. It's lust. All these lusts. Well, where do lusts come from? What are lusts the result of? A lie. And who's the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44? And the lust of your father you will do because there was no truth in him. And he wants that in my experience through these lust patterns replacing experientially Christ. He, this, is, this is where we grow. And this is where we grow. So the word comes in and it separates that. What does it separate in Hebrews 4.12? It separates, okay, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's a choice. Result, and you will not lean to your own understanding. Well, where does my own understanding come from if it's not Christ? Who's my master? Myself? No. You cannot serve two masters. This is really intense when we think about it, right? And where it goes into the treasures. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Look at what it says. Treasures. What, what is it? Tre treasure. If my treasure isn't Christ in me, in my vessel, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it's lust. Right. I'm treasuring up all these things I think I need and I want as opposed to him. And all it is, it goes against the truth of who I am in Christ in 1 John 5, 20. That's the truth, the truth of who Christ is in me and who I am in him. That's 1 John 5, 20. Then the rest is where he has to do the separating. My little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that's 1 John 5 and verse 21. And those are all those lust patterns. And behind every one of it is a demonic force and influence to corrupt in a proper experience. And that's where trust in the Lord with all your heart, result, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge what? Him. Then he will direct your paths. Your paths of thinking. Psalm 16, 6. Your lines have fallen out unto me in pleasant places. All those areas where the word it just comes in and floods me. Then, what? I experience rest. It goes into rest, proper rest. In Psalm 16 and verse 7, 
My rains now instruct me in the night seasons. And that's a metonym for what I take in is what I give out. It goes right into all that teaching there. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. What is my path? My path is Proverbs 4.18. The light that Christ is in me. The purity of who I am in a proper image. And it just keeps brighter, it gets brighter, brighter until the final day in Proverbs 4.18 where I see him finally in 1 Corinthians 13.12 face to face. And again, that goes into Revelations 2 and verse 17. My eternal face-to-face fellowship with him. This is where he's breaking these attachments. And it's not that, it's really. In John 8, 44, you know, <coughs> he's the father of all lies. And the lust of your father will do because there was no truth in him. And he was a murderer from where? He was a murderer. You think about this. What he wants to do to the Christian, murder their experience, murder them with this stuff. He's a murderer. The thief in John 10, 10 a comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came that we might have life and have it even more abundantly. And so, you know, that, that's what he, he does. And, and he was a murderer from the beginning. The beginning, where did the beginning? It was in eternity in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. He was complete, perfect in all his ways of of obeying and receiving what he couldn't do until iniquity was found in him. Making a provision for his will to reign without God. Yeah, what's that for us as Christians? It's called the flesh and lust patterns. And we see those lust patterns. You see them again. In Matthew 15, 16 to 20. In Mark chapter 7, verse 14 to 20. Four, we see those lust patterns again in Galatians 5, 19 to 22. And there's the separating, sanctifying process that's constantly going on. That's why we need constant preaching and teaching. That's why we need it, all of us. And, and, and you know, in whatever form, listen, whatever, whatever form that God has made available to us, And so that's, that's Hebrews 4.12. The, the word of the Lord is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the sunder of the soul, self-conscious living, lust patterns, attachments, you name it, from God-conscious living, the spirit. And then it goes into, it, see the preciseness of what he's teaching us. That those sacrifices that went on in Leviticus, those sacrifices that went on, even in, in, in part of them in, Exo, in, in Exodus, and you can even see some of it in Genesis, the 15th chapter also, where there was a separation of those sacrifices and they could walk right in between them. But the reality of what that's teaching there is, is Christ. He was a spotless lamb. This is Exodus 12, 1 to 13. This is Numbers 19, 1 and 2. He was the spotless. And you could cut him and there was no spot or anything in him. None. There isn't any in him and me and my position. But now it's experience. He's bringing this truth into us. And this is our growth. 
And because we're his children in Galatians 3.26, we're his children in Romans 8.15, we're his children in Galatians chapter 4, 6, and 7, because we're his children, my, my little children in 1 John 2.1, see that you sin not. But if you do sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's the propitiation for our sins, personal, but also in propitiation for the world to have their sins dealt with by them receiving him too, like we did in John 1 and verse 12. So there's this separating that has to go on, and that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in us. He, he, is, re- he is getting us ready. This is This is phenomenal. He's getting us ready for a face-to-face meeting with him. And I'm going to tell you, there's no shame in him towards us. There's no shame in him. This is Hebrews 2.11. There's no, 2.11 and 12. There's no shame. Both he that sanctifies and them that are sanctified all of one we're all of one, and he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And then in Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two, to actually declare what God has done in giving himself to God, the Father, but giving him to us. He's going to declare it. But I'll tell you where that, ha- that, that he does with us first and foremost individually, and that's our face-to-face. And even I believe in this context, even I believe at the Bema seat, he gets us ready for the marriage supper by burning up, Bema seat, by burning up all that shame. Anything that caused the shame, the wood, hay, and stubble. In 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, because there is no terror. Gosh. Why would there be terror there when we're not to have any today, right now? Some teach that. They connect. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. They connect it. Oh, listen. Listen, they mean it too. A lot of Greek scholars, a lot of gifted men fall in that area. Like, okay, that's right. We all do. But I'm just telling you, in that area they do. But what happened to 1 John 4, 17? We're to have boldness in the day of judgment. What's that? That's Bema seat for us. There is no judgment. That's right. It's called a manifestation seat, not a judgment seat. Be careful of your translations. I have to be. We all have to be. Because as he is in 1 John 4, 17, so are we. Is there anything in him now for God to condemn? No. Because fear, fear because what? Perfect love, complete love, casts out fear. Because fear has torture, terror, torment, kalesis, the Greek word. He that fears is not functioning in what love has perfected in him, in his, in his position, but it hasn't reached yet his experience. And this is where the separating, separ- sanctification is positional. Now, we've heard positional sanctification. It's who we are in Christ positionally. But now we say it's progressive. All that simply is, is, is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation, your whole Christian life, your whole, all your growth, everything about you, growing in grace, 2 Peter 3, 18. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you. 
but only he finished and accomplished. Works in you, what? He works in you, what? Work out your own salvation, for it is God which works in you, both to will, whoa, and now to do, and that's receiving, to do of his good pleasure. And of course we know, John 8, 29, Romans 15, 3, Revelations 4, 11, his pleasure is Christ himself. No shame there whatsoever. None whatsoever. And that's what he's separating in us now. He's not, I'm punishing you. Chastisement, loving chastisement. That's why, that's separating. That's why the word when it comes, if I'm not intreatable and I'm still living in areas of rebellion and stubbornness, am I going to receive that loving, gracious chastisement? No. No. But if I'm intreatable, if I can say, oh God, please help me. Now you're in Romans 7. God, the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. The things I don't want to do, I do. God, please help me. And then he says, help you, Romans 7.24. Finally, he has to bring us to the, to the place where the cry is, oh God, who will, who will help me in this body of death? No, who will deliver me from this body of death? Christ has already done it. In 7.25, then you get into Romans 8, and some say gospel within the gospel. In those 39 verses, Romans 8.1, if you cannot separate me, because he's already separated all the guilt and condemnation from us. If you can't, so if you can't, if you can't condemn me in Romans 8, one, you can never separate me in 35 to 39 of Romans 8. This is, this is Hebrews 4.12 separating us. <laughs> so, I'm trusting God with all, with all of us together for this truth. We all have knowledge, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through, uh, through 3. We all have knowledge. But when knowledge doesn't enter into, the knowledge of his love doesn't enter into a proper experience where I reverence him, if it doesn't, it puffs up. That knowledge that he gives, the enemy will, will cause the flesh to use to resist God. <laughs> I know enough. I don't need them. God's leading me. I prayed. I know. Oh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure I would in the flesh. No, I wouldn't. No, I would not. Knowledge puffs up. We all have knowledge. We all have knowledge what you should do about you know, at that time, you know, whether they should eat the meat that was offered to sacrifices that they, that, but then they took and sold in the marketplace. Well, yeah, we all have knowledge. Yeah, that's right. We know that. But knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So don't think, if a man thinks he knows anything, in other words, any word any, any word in this Bible, if I think I came to the end of it and I know it, guess what I know? Nothing as I ought to know. Because I will never outknow God's love for me, ever. And I will never come to the end of it, either. Ephesians 3 and 19. And not, so knowledge puffs up, but, but uh, love edifies. And that's what it says there. 
And, and, and we can see, I could see this too in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, how that works with Galatians chapter 6 and, and 1, 1 through 4. I can see that as the Holy Spirit uh, brings it, like only he can, by the way. And that's why we say the Holy Spirit's the theologian and the scholar. Let's just get it straight. Let's not brag about what we do for God. But let our continual boast, in Psalm 44 and verse 8, let our continual boast be what Christ has done for us, and may that be the only thing that comes out of our mouths, not what we did for him. Now, as this is 1 Corinthians 8, 1, as we close. Now, as touching things often unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. The, like ignorant, untaught ones in Christ. If that knowledge in me isn't right, I will use it to puff myself up against them. That happens to a backslidden believer, by the way. Knowledge puffs up. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet it is he ought to know. You see that word, nothing? Know what that has to do with? It's either God's love or nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. If I, verse 2, if I have not love, I am what? Nothing. That's what the enemy wants to convince us of. And there's where he gives all the subtle, ignorant at times, or rebellious, lust patterns. If any man think he knows anything, as he, anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, now how does that happen? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. What's that mean? That's 1 John 4, 10. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. And then we see in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. What does that mean? Well, he who's sovereign and has first place, what, place does, what, what are the places that he wants in believers? Every place. We don't give him first place. Knock that one off. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He is sovereign. Before anything ever was or ever could have a will or even the ability to think, which was given by God, the Lord sovereign. <laughs> and so, again, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Isn't that amazing? What does that mean? I don't know how God knows me until I receive his love for me. And it only flows through grace, not natural intellect. See these young people so lost in knowledge that's puffed them up. Oh, help us all. <laughs> help us all. I can be an 80-year-old novice. Don't want to be, but I want to function in his love. And Father, we thank you for your precious word this morning. And, and thank you for gathering us. And thank you for giving us, as, as it says there, I believe it's Ezra or Ezekiel. It's one of those two, 822. You prescribe everything in terms of, of the sacrifice and how it was to be prepared. But the one thing that, that, we, that you, could, you couldn't put enough and you could put as much was grace, salt, salt. And that goes into Col uh, Colossians 4, 5, knowing how to answer 
let our speech in 4.6 be seasoned with grace so that no corrupt communication in Ephesians 4.29 comes out of our mouth and then we grieve the Holy Spirit even in the separating, sanctifying process of bringing Christ into our proper experience, Lord. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.